Are you an overwhelmed SaaS founder ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Welcome back to the Sassfield Podcast, where it's not the size of the seed, but the depth of the roots that determines how tall a tree will grow. I'm your host, Jeff Baines. I help B2B SaaS founders like you scale from seven figures, which is good, to eight and nine figures, which is outstanding. Together, we supercharge revenue growth, create premium valuation, and craft the business you're proud of and a life of impact and freedom that you love. For a number of years, we had a big old tree kind of hanging over the house. And every once in a while, a branch would break off. And, you know, not small, not huge, no major issues. You know, it survived storms. I mean, all kinds of things. And lots of wildlife at our place as well. And, and one night, we saw a raccoon climb up the tree and just disappear. And shining a light up there, you could see just a little gap in a hollow spot. It's like, hmm. Probably time to call an expert and just kind of see and make sure this tree is okay. An arborist came out, or as I call it, a tree person, and recommended that we take the tree down. And it's one of about, I don't know, 75 or 80 trees. So it's not like it's the only one, but it is a big one. It's about six feet around and 50 feet tall. And they brought out a crew equipment. I mean, all kinds of things. They're extra careful because it's right there close to the house. And so we were all really surprised by what happened next. And today's sponsor is, no, no, just kidding. So what happened next, they started removing the top one section at a time, then another and another and another, and they got down to the trunk. So they're taking it off in pieces instead of just trying to make the whole thing fall over, which uh, could have really bad consequences. And so still it's six feet around and about 20 feet tall at the trunk. And when they took that down, it was completely hollow all the way to the ground. I mean, nothing inside there. The entire inside of the tree just disappeared. No idea. Arborist had no idea. It looked perfectly healthy on the outside. Uh, We just had the inkling that maybe there was some hollow spots in there or maybe, you know, time to do something about the limbs hanging over. Never expected that. Yeah. And uh, the best part is that the guys that do this all day, every day, I mean, they were as surprised as we were. And uh, they're having a good time. They're climbing inside the trunk, taking pictures of each other in there. So like completely inside it. Uh, it's so fun and, and pretty funny as well. Uh, these guys love what they do. But uh, I'll show you some pictures. Go to my social. But it's just crazy. But your business is like a tree as well. And you as the leader are the root system of that tree. It's the invisible yet vital foundation that provides nutrients for the entire organism. And if the roots cease to grow, if they stay the same, then the tree's growth is stunted. No matter how much sunlight it is, no matter how fertile the soil is, you know, no matter how good it looks on the outside, without that, it's not going to grow. And as leaders, our growth isn't a luxury. It's a necessity. You know, our learning curves, our growth capacity, our ability to adapt, our leadership level. I mean, these aren't just personal milestones. They are the engines. They're the fuel that drive our businesses forward. The catalysts that transform potential into performance. 
And when we stop growing as leaders, we risk quickly becoming the bottleneck that restricts our company's expansion. Instead of our roots being deeply planted and tapping into new sources of energy, we're like those big old roots above ground that people trip over. Yeah, we become hurdles that our team, our product, our business needs to overcome. So we chart the course for our business growth. We also have to map out our own journey of learning, of adaptation, and evolution. To think about Satya Nadella, CEO of Microsoft. When Nadella took over Microsoft, it was losing ground to competitors. You know, if you'd asked me, I would have said it kind of a has-been company, the old guard. And his strategy to revive the tech giant wasn't about just launching new products or expanding in a new market. Those are kind of like the obvious plays, right? That's what every CEO does. Oh, we're going to go take on these new markets. But before going out, he went in. So he fixed the root system inside to support that expansion. It's pretty interesting. And it was about fostering a learn-it-all culture, starting with himself. Not, I know it all, but learn it all. Instilling a mindset of continuous learning, of growth, of innovation across the organization. Completely transformed that company. His leadership growth didn't just propel him forward. It reinvigorated Microsoft and drove a remarkable turnaround. They're in a completely different place now, today, than where they were when he took over. And like I said, it's a company that I, I would have said probably is not going to make a big resurgence. Some new company is going to overtake them. But uh, that hasn't happened. And they've come up with some pretty unique things lately, uh, particularly around AI and what they're doing there. It's very cool stuff. So as we navigate our discussion today, let's remember that business growth isn't just about numbers, although those are important. It's also about the leader's growth. It's about nurturing the roots that sustain our business. It's about ensuring that as our company scales, that we as individuals and leaders are scaling with it. If you want deeper roots, check out our sponsor today, Champion Leadership Group, ultimate resource for SaaS founders and C-suite executives to continue to develop themselves, scale their companies, and make sure that they're never walking alone. Unlock untapped revenue by leveraging our time-tested SaaS growth principles, toolkits, playbooks, and frameworks designed to help you scale ARR from seven to eight to nine figures. Collaborate with an elite network of SaaS visionaries, celebrate wins, and overcome defeats together. Prioritize strategic decisions to create profitable growth, premium valuation, and most importantly, I think, freedom. Win championships daily, weekly, monthly, and with your ideal exit at Champion Leadership Group. You can learn more at championleadership.com. Our SaaS founder on Tuesday was Kazuki Ada. Kaz Ada. He's a CEO at Treasure Data, a leading customer data platform. He was originally the founding CTO, Chief Technology Officer, technical background, amazing story of growth and overcoming, and continued to grow not just his technical skills, but leadership as well in that organization. His company helps us mine the treasure in our data, and the lessons and wisdom that he shared were absolute gold. Incredibly talented and amazingly humble. And our guest expert last week was Nicholas Means, who leads the engineering team at SIM, helping create the building blocks to create a delightful, just-in-time access workflows. So such a great conversation and outstanding insights on bringing projects in on time and on budget 
with happy team members. Really important stuff. If you missed either of those episodes, go back and give them a listen. It's a lot of fun. My guest this week is an amazing person. It is Carlos Antiquera, CEO and co-founder at Novel Capital, a fintech company that is changing the way startup founders grow and fund their businesses. He's a former exited founder himself, having sold his K-12 talent management company, Netchemia, to Vista Equity Partners. And in addition to being CEO at Novel, Carlos is an angel investor, startup mentor, and Kaufman fellow. He's never met a cocktail he didn't have an opinion on. So let's raise a glass to this week's expert, who is also a multi-time founder, Carlos Antiquera. Hey, Carlos, welcome to SaaS Fuel. Uh, thank you, Jeff. Uh, it's great to be here and uh, uh, looking forward to the conversation today. Well, I love your background. You're a technical SaaS founder. Now you're helping other SaaS founders grow and scale. Tell me, what has that journey been like? Yeah, it's uh, definitely been a, been a ride. But uh, as you mentioned, my experience as a, as a co-founder of a, of a software company and building that and, and growing that here in the Midwest has been a, an interesting experience. And uh, being able to go and leave uh, those challenges of uh, building a tech company and trying to find the growth capital, especially um, when you think about it, early 2000s, uh, the uh, VC environment and the capital environment in the Midwest wasn't as matured as now. So there's still a lot of gaps, but just mentioned sure. that uh, a few years back. Uh, so that really has been uh, you know, a, a great base for deciding to now uh, start Novel with the focus of helping other entrepreneurs that, as I talk to my fellow entrepreneurs uh, in the area and, you know, as, had, as I've had those conversations, really found out that it's not really a, a Midwest problem. It's generally exacerbated here, but really across the country, there's just really a big gap for um, a lot of entrepreneurs that need that capital, uh, that growth capital to build on their dreams and their missions. And they just... Uh, uh, don't have access to one of those key elements uh, for their growth, right? And so it's uh, it's great to be able to kind of now be uh, a little bit on the other side, although still kind of building novel. And, and as part sure. of that, you know, I still consider myself uh, still a, a, a tech entrepreneur, just with the with the uh, other element of finance. But uh, it's exciting to kind of be able to kind of put those two things together. Yes, yes. Well, it's certainly. I mean, fintech is uh, you know you're definitely still in that technology space. Uh, just a little bit different aspect of it, which I think is fantastic. Tell me about revenue-based funding. You know, why would a company do that versus the, the kind of the, the the route we think about of VCs yeah. or private equity? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, um, that, that's a good question, right? And uh, going through my uh, entrepreneurial journey, I did not know about other options than what you normally hear. Right? But the teacher in your MBA has go your friendly banker with your business plan. Uh, or uh, you see on TechCrunch and, and the big publications, hey, go raise money from right. uh, this brand name VC or, or not, right? And you think those are the only two paths, right? And uh, as you go through your entrepreneurial journey, you might have experience, uh, you know, you start figuring out, well, there might not be uh, a right fit for, the, for that tool, for that instrument as I go through my journey. And, you know, maybe private equity is the opportunity to continue to grow. Uh, maybe there are other instruments. So I had the opportunity to learn uh, about revenue-based financing. And to your question, basically, it's a way to be able to leverage 
the revenues of a company in a way, the way we think about it, it's kind of the performance, what you've done already, right? You'll be able to, to get a customer to depart with their uh, dear money. And, and right. so that means to us that, that you've created value is be able to underwrite a company and provide them capital based on that, uh, on the revenue both that they have right now and the likelihood that that revenue will continue, right? So that's a, at a basics, uh, that's, uh, that's the concept. Now, one of the key elements is, is, is the repayment is, uh, if you think about it on, on traditional equity, you are exchanging that capital that you're getting for being able to give, uh, the other party a percentage equity ownership in your company with the expectation that that company will exit or we have a sale. So that's how the investors, uh, get their capital, uh, back plus their return. In our case, that return happens more, uh, debt like in which we get payments on a monthly basis but based on either an agreed percentage of your cash proceeds. So let's say 5% a month of your cash proceeds will come back uh, to repay the capital that we've given you. Or it could be on an agreed amount that will happen on a monthly basis, but that's still correlated to your, to your revenue. So, and one of the key elements is that it grows as you grow, right? As so on a traditional uh, loan, you might be forced to a fixed payment that if you're in a bad situation or in the early stages of your company is not really sustainable or it doesn't allow you to deploy capital to grow and to continue to build on what you're doing. So we've you know created an instrument that's much more flexible and allows you to kind of scale as you scale. And the better you do, then obviously uh, the more access to capital you have, but that flows as, as you continue to grow. I think it's a brilliant concept. I mean, I love bootstrap founders and I think so many founders take money from, from VCs, not that I'm completely against that, but they do it way too early in the process and they exactly. give up so much equity. But with, uh, with novel and revenue-based financing, they're not giving up equity. Is that right? Correct. Yes. This is totally non-dilutive. So, uh, it is, you know, beneficial to the entrepreneur. It is beneficial even to some of those early equity investors because they are helping the company grow and get additional milestones and create value. Uh, without dilution to those parties. And, and you pointed out something that is critical that we see in a lot of uh, early stage entrepreneurs is that, you know, equity seems like free money, right? Uh, but the more successful you are, the more expensive really that is. Yes. And uh, ultimately as entrepreneurs, we tend to be overly optimistic, right? And you have to be optimistic to build a company. Without a but, doubt. Uh, in many cases, you know, underestimate the amount of rounds or the amount of capital we will need to raise. So as you give uh, portions of your company at the early stage, and you mentioned sometimes too early, sometimes too much too early. Therefore, you can find yourself in a situation that after a few years, uh, you've given up the large majority of your company. And in essence, you are working just for the investors. And even if you have a very successful exit, you will not really re reap the rewards of, of, uh, of all that hard work, right? And, and it's hard to tell when you're in the earliest stages and it seems, oh, I'm just giving 10%, another 20%, but eventually adds up. And if I put you in a position in which um, you didn't expect to find yourself. That's true. And it, I think it takes away options. So that's one of the <laughs> things I really like about having you know, non-dilutive financing is it really gives you a lot more options in the future. Exactly. Yeah. That, that is one of the things that we constantly talk to, to entrepreneurs about as, a, as an entrepreneur, as a founder, how do you create yourself optionality, right? So if you really want to uh, get equity and uh, as, as you mentioned, we don't think either financial instrument is inherently bad. It is an issue of when do you use the right tool 
for where you are in your journey, right? right. So um, it is about being wise and kind of thinking a little bit ahead of a, of a, of a more comprehensive capital strategy, as opposed to, again, as entrepreneurs, uh, I try to be empathetic because we're in the middle of the journey. You just tend to see kind of what the next step for you is. You don't think what the next two steps are going to be in terms of your capital strategy. Sure. And that's sometimes how, uh, you know, you get in a challenging situation. But we talk a lot to entrepreneurs about understanding what are you going to use the capital for? And in, in most cases, when we talk to entrepreneurs, it's about growing their company, leveraging the opportunity to take market share or to accelerate what they're doing already and what value that creates, right? One of the clear examples is we will get into conversations of entrepreneurs that have been trained uh, by the uh, VC equity process that they need to have a large amount that they're trying to raise. Otherwise, there are many VCs that don't want to write a 300K check, right? So right. They, uh, they they might want to do like, say, a $2 million check. Entrepreneurs are smart, right? They pretty quickly adjust their pitch and say, well, I need $2 million when maybe they only need, let's say, 600K. But then you get into the challenge that now you have this capital and you're expected to produce at that at a certain return. And if you're not set up properly or you didn't have the right plan, then you can be in a challenging situation where you could have leveraged at a smaller amount build the value. A, a clear example is, you know, maybe you just need to hire a couple of salespeople to get the next milestone. And in the SaaS world, uh, if you're looking, let's say, in particular enterprise SaaS, you know, those folks could generate three quarters of a million, a million dollar a salesperson, right? If you if you have your unit economics and your product in the right place, you could be creating a couple million dollars of value of revenue. And depending what the valuation is of, of, of your company, let's say we just take some higher level multiples of, you know, of, uh, of 5X, 6X, you could create another $10 million of value for you and your investors without getting that dilution, right? And then if you really need to accelerate that and you need a larger amount, then you could go raise additional capital at a much better valuation with more optionality. That makes a lot of sense. So on your website, you have uh, 115 million that is ready to be deployed. Can I get yeah. all of that today, like in one check? Or, you know, what are the funding amounts and how are those determined? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, generally, it'll be uh, up to $2 million in an initial uh, uh, capital deployment for a company. So and not $115 million for me today? $5 million uh, per company. Oh, that's good. So not $115 million for me today? Not at one <laughs> shot. Yeah. yeah. I mean, one of the other things is that, uh, you know... Uh, we think about what this means for the entrepreneur, right? And, and part of it is, is understanding where the entrepreneur is, making sure that they do not get over levered, right? And they don't get again into a trouble, really into a trouble situation in which now we're not actually not being helpful, but because of the repayments that they have to make now, it, it's creating a spiral actually into, into a burn situation that, you know, puts the entrepreneur in a, in a, in a worse situation. So. And sometimes that means, uh, like you, like you said, saying no to an entrepreneur that thinks they need that. Uh, sure. And we, in many cases, we've had the conversations. I will tell them, Hey, if somebody, let's say that the entrepreneur wants a million dollars and we say, Hey, for where you're at, we think that we could give you, let's say $500,000. And they have somebody that might be willing to give him a hundred K or a million dollars in, in some kind of uh, debt instrument. In many cases, we'll tell them, hey, even if you can get it, it might not be wise for you to get it, right? Because it might put you in a challenging situation that you are not foreseeing, in which you just have one or two months that don't go the way you're expecting, and now you're in trouble. 
And uh, that's sometimes, you know, hard for entrepreneurs to see at the point in time, but we try to be honest and, and, and direct in how we're seeing the business and based on our experience and the data that we have of what we think the trajectory of the high likelihood of the trajectory of the business is, right? There's always edge cases, but, uh, but part of our job is to figure out what is the more likely scenario of the, of the path forward. That's really smart. I think really helpful for entrepreneurs to think about that. And most of us, you know, if we're going out and doing a raise, say, you know, if we needed two or five million or one million, we're probably not going to deploy all of that this month. Exactly. And yep. so, you know, being able to stage that in over time and not have to go out and re-raise or do anything, do anything weird. Yeah, you know, it's one of the things I like about the way that you fund is you can take it as you need it. So it's not uh, you yep. don't have a bunch of cash just sitting there doing nothing. Yeah. And, and that's another way in which you optimize your cost of capital, right? It's, uh, if you are taking the money six months later, you're not really paying any cost of capital for the first six months. Therefore, right. your theoretical cost of capital is actually smaller, right? It really depends. So, uh, of when you take the money, even right? And how much do you take? So we, again, it's a lot of what we do is really education. A lot of entrepreneurs, again, kind of have the either the, VC framework or the bank framework. And, and so they have a, a hard time figuring out how else to think about capital. One of the most common questions we get is, okay, I understand now you, you don't, you know, you're not a VC, so you're not going to take equity. So then their natural question is, okay, what is your interest rate? I would say, well, we don't actually have a, an actual interest rate because of what we just talked, right? It depends when you take the money. It depends how much money you take. So we're giving you flexibility to manage really your capital and your cost of capital to optimize for when you need it. So there's a, there's a cost of capital on average that we see across our, our, our customers, sure. right? And we'll share that. But, but we say we, we don't have an actual interest rate. And so, so it, it takes a little bit for the entrepreneur to, to, you know, to get used to, to a different framework. But once they understand that, I think they see a lot of the value and they get excited about, okay, Here's an, a new way in which maybe I can I can manage my my company growth uh, and and leverage capital in a in a, in a better way. Yeah, that's smart. And so if they don't negotiate the interest rate, what is it that they do negotiate, or how do they get the the best deal with you? Yeah. So uh, that is that is another part that that we really work right. So if you think about it in the way that kind of we are building novel, uh, I've tried to take a lot of kind of the the parts of the journey I experienced and I've seen my, 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 uh, fellow entrepreneurs experiencing and kind of try to take those kind of bad things out of the process or my pet peeves out of the process to be very transparent, uh, as low lift on the entrepreneur as possible. Right. I know that, uh, as entrepreneurs were wearing multiple hats, early stages, uh, you're trying to keep the business going, try to keep your team going you know, raising capital is not your full-time job, but in many cases becomes, you know, your full-time job. And so I know that the more streamlined that process that we make and the more transparent that we make it, the, the better it is for the entrepreneur so they can focus on what they ultimately want, which is growing the business. So a lot of it is really, you know, data-driven and it's, you know, we look at uh, 40 or so data points, but some of the uh, obvious ones that you would expect kind of make a big difference is the revenue base that you're at. So we look at, uh, uh, you know, your historical revenue and where you're adding revenue. So obviously a company that has $10 million in revenue is going to uh, be less risk to a company that has 500K in revenue, right? Sure. So that's uh, one of the factors. Another one of the key factors is the, the, the burn and runway. Right. So if a company is 
closer to profitability or profitable, that is going to be uh, less risk than a company that is uh, burning a large amount or has a shorter runway, right? So, so those are some of the elements that we look at. We look at a, at a bunch of other uh, uh, data points, but by leveraging technology, right, we try to look at those data points just out of the data connections we get to entrepreneurs' financials and banking data. So it's as low lift as possible in the entrepreneurs. So that's how we that's how we manage kind of the, the the pricing if you will and then but but we're pretty transparent that once we understand that data we can come back pretty quickly to the entrepreneur and say and we agree on a on a cap or a maximum fee that we agree so we might say over a period let's say of 24 months it might be a 1.2x return that we expect so let's say if we give you a hundred thousand dollars over the 24 months we expect a hundred and twenty thousand dollars total back so so $20,000 would be a fee for that 24-month period, for example. And so we, we are pretty transparent and upfront, and that doesn't change ever during the, during the period of that capital deployment. Okay. Now that makes sense. So the, the repayment terms then are, are flexible? Or is it typically two years or is it longer, shorter? Yeah, we, we, we go maximum to three years. And so what we have seen, right, and you know, easily did see that for growth type of strategic opportunities that, that most entrepreneurs really, really that we talk to are trying to do, uh, the example again of hiring salespeople is a, is a pretty common one. It might be a founder that, that to, uh, uh, so far has gotten to where they got, you know, let's say $2 million in revenue with just founder led sales or maybe founder and co-founders have been doing that, but they're finding that to scale. Now they really got to bring other salespeople to scale. So that might be a good uh, use case example and. In that case, you have to really think about how long is it going to take for you to hire the people? How long is it going to take to train the people? How long is it going to take basically for those salespeople to get your return on investment? So usually you have to look at, you know, six months plus, right? So, so we try to be conscious of that. And so that's why we have what we think is, you know, patient capital in the sense that we can let you go all the way up to 36 months. But on the other hand, if you can kind of hit that growth curve in that process and you have additional capital to pay it off, you know, you get a, a very large A round, let's say, and now you want to clean your balance sheet or your investor wants you to do it. So uh, within our product, uh, the entrepreneur can repay that at any point in time before that maximum timeline and, you know, obviously prorate it to, the, to, to what that timeline is. That's nice. Again, building in that flexibility. Exactly. Yeah. So, so if you can see, think about it, right? And, and you're getting so, so from the front, you can decide when to take the capital and how much. And from the other end, is you can decide when to repay it. And so that gives you the ultimate flexibility there. Because if you can see that you can continue to reinvest this to continue to accelerate your growth, and that's your highest return, then you know keep uh, letting it run, right? Or if for some reason again you had a bad quarter and things didn't go well, then you are not kind of with the you know, kind of the the hammer over over your head that you know now something something's gonna happen and now I gotta solve this other problem because uh, I have such a short fuse to 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 solve this. So right. uh, then you can kind of just let it run and and uh, wait either until kind of in future quarters things kind of come back up or until you are in a better uh, revenue position. Does that happen often where entrepreneurs can't pay it back or you know is that just what are the risks with funding like this? Um, I, I think the, uh, again, because we have that flexibility, the, the risk is relatively minimal. So you, you would have to go, 
you as an entrepreneur and us as as the capital providers both would have to really miss in a kind of that long term view, right? So if you have a bad quarter, again, you can kind of keep going, and uh, eventually at the end of the thirty six months, you'll you'll catch up. But if you have three years in a in a row that are bad, then then you might be in a position in which you know, by the end of the period, maybe you didn't get to repay us back. And in that case, again, we're relatively, uh, I'll call it entrepreneur friendly, in which we have an automatic extension in which you say, okay, basically now we're going to give you another 12 months and you continue to pay to try to catch up to that, uh, to that agreed return. Because at, at the end of the day, again, we're working with technology companies. So most of those technology companies, uh, don't have a lot of assets, right? So it's not like we right. can take over building or machinery. Uh, and even if we could, we're not set up and our intentions is not to 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 own companies, right? I, I always tell uh, sometimes investors will get that, that they'll ask those questions, right? So what if, you know, you're just trying to get the companies in default? You know, I can barely run one company well, right? I'm not trying to take <laughs> over more. I can relate if, to that. You know, right, right, exactly, right. At that, you guys have this subject matter experts uh, and I've also, you know, bought and sold companies. And I know how difficult it is. So it's not like I'm even going to try to get it to try to sell it to somebody. It just, it, for a practical purpose, it doesn't work, right? So if if uh, things really go bad over a long period of time, then I need to look at myself and say, hey, we shouldn't have done that uh, that deal. And we need to relook at our algorithms, really relook at our underwriting and see where we're missing. But then it's, then it's on us at a certain point. But uh, yeah, it's really... Uh, for the entrepreneurs, right, is, is we want to have good relationships. We want to have customers that continue to come back to us to be their partners in, in growth. Uh, you know, the, the, the best way to do that is for customers to, uh, for customers to be successful, to have a good experience and to, uh, share those experiences with other entrepreneurs, right? That's great. Well, how did you find your first company? You had, uh, is it NetChemia? Yeah, 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 like, like chemistry, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah cloud-based uh, talent management in the education space. Yeah, it's uh, early in the 2000s. I was finishing my MBA. My background is as a software developer, and uh, I was working for a, uh, for a company. And at the beginning of the internet, I thought that was a really exciting area that might have some opportunity. And the company where I was did not do uh, any of that. And so... At some point, I decided to to start uh, on my own as an internet consulting company, originally with a couple of co-founders. And uh, relatively early in that journey, we were lucky to, to find uh, a school district that that uh, had a project they wanted done. And uh, uh, early stage, you know, you'll take any project that shows up in front sure. of you that'll pay the bills, and and we did it. They were happy. And next thing you know, you have other school districts calling you. And we're like, well, this is rare because you normally have to be knocking on a lot of doors right, to get right. projects. And, and if customers are calling you, uh, then there must really be a need. And, and eventually, right, we decided to focus in that area. And the more you understand your customer, the more you understand their needs. And we saw that there was this big, really gap in, in, in automating the talent side of the house in, in education. And at that point, a lot of the conversations were around how do we improve student achievement? But a lot of the efforts were normally done on the curriculum side of the house, on the student side of the house, right? Let's, let's uh, uh, decrease the number of students. Let's change the math curriculum. Let's do this, let's do that. And, and just from the business experience and what we could see was happening on the business world, nobody was looking at the talent side of things, right? If you don't have the right principals, you don't have the right teachers in the classroom, it doesn't matter how much you, you change around the, the, the framework. 
if you don't have the right people to execute, just like in business, then good results will not, good outcomes will not happen. And that was really the thesis. And we, and we started to build up an, an end-to-end platform that started with let's recruit and hire the right personnel. And then uh, let's provide them the right professional development and let's provide the right, uh, you know, kind of review and feedback process. Uh, and to be honest, I mean, a lot of those concepts w- were borrowed from the business world, right? Uh, sure. Um, th- there were a few uh, companies like Taleo on the business world and then a, a couple of others that were uh, really focused on those uh, talent management suites on, on the business side. And, and we built something comparable uh, totally built uh, from scratch just for the educational world. And that was part of the, the, the reason we could be very nimble, uh, have the pricing that the market expected and could afford and uh, have, uh, you know, very short implementation cycles because everything was specifically tailored to that industry. And then how did that uh, company, it was acquired by People Admin. how did that come about? Yes, as as we continue to uh, to, to grow and have success, obviously you start uh, getting uh, the attention of private equity investors and, and and other strategic acquirers that see as a good opportunity to to accelerate their expansion uh, or maybe increase their revenue base or their customer base, and so we had the opportunity to uh, you know the fortune to to get a few of those inquiries when we we had some mass, right? At a certain point, we had uh, over 3,500 school districts across the country that were our customers. So we had a, a good a good market share and we uh, got contacted by by Vista Private Equity. That was the, the part of People Admin and their thesis was really to build uh, kind of an end-to-end talent solution, both for uh, K-12 and higher ed. They had just acquired People Admin uh, on the higher ed side. They were uh, one of the biggest players there. And they wanted to have uh, a similar platform on the on the K twelve side, and this is known for you know for uh, a lot of roll ups in particular verticals where they see opportunities, and they saw the opportunity to do that with our understanding of of the K twelve market and the the opportunity is software expansion there. Very interesting. So, how has it been? You know, building that, exiting, and now another startup. Is it easier the second time around? That is a tricky question. It's, <laughs> some things are easier, right? And, and some things are, are still hard. One of my uh, favorite books uh, is the, um, what's the title? The, the, the Hard Things About, uh, what is it? The, the Hard Thing About Hard Things? The Hard Things About, yeah, The Hard yes, Thing About Hard Things. it's a great yeah, book. And it, 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 a, a lot of the experience kind of goes to that, right? They're just things that are hard and you got to kind of go through the mud and it doesn't matter if... Uh, if you've done it two times, if, if you've done it three times, you still got to go through it, right? And it's, it's similar to, I think, uh, um, you know, I, I get a similar question around fundraising. And it's like, well, does fundraising get hard, they get, get easier, right? You've done it a few times. First company, you've done second company. Uh, we've raised debt, we've raised equity, we've raised... It's just fundraising, it's just hard, right? Yes, uh, it is. So process. And so... I think, uh, you know, my, yeah, my feedback to entrepreneurs, I was just talking to a, to a friend that's thinking about starting a, a, a new company and his idea, I think is really good. Right. And, and, but I was telling him, are, are you ready for a, for a journey that's going to be at least for the next 10 years or so? Uh, he recently had a baby. And so I'm like, idea is great. I know you have it kind of probably, uh, you know, what it takes to, to execute on it, but are you ready kind of for the, for the rest that comes with it? Right. Especially when you don't have a co-founder or co-founders, right? It, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a hard journey, and so I think mentally you have to kind of be ready for that. And yeah, so so some things get some things get easier, but uh, it's still a challenge. Yeah, 
And so you had co-founders in Netchemia. Did you have co-founders in Novel Capital as well? Yeah, that, that is one of the things, uh, you know, if there's a, um, a, a takeaway I, I normally share is I, I got very fortunate uh, on my first thing that Netchemia had two co-founders uh, that, you know, were, we were together until the very end, uh, and, until the, the exit. And uh, I, I couldn't have been more fortunate. I think we, uh, you know, two things that really worked well for us were we had different areas of um, call it expertise, uh, which we could combine. Right? So one of my co-founders was really strong on the uh, design side, UI, UX, and, and marketing. And one of my other co-founders, you know, was a, a really a, a guru in terms of, of the software side of things and, and data architecture and all those uh, technology things. And uh, even though my background was uh, was computers as well, I was a software developer. So I always said, you know, he's he's the real the real deal there, I, I could see how he, he was much better than, than I was in that area. But on the other hand, I, I loved the business side of things, right? And kind of being able to kind of leverage my technology knowledge with business. And so that complementing that was, was super helpful, especially early stages where we could wear multiple hats and help each other out. Uh, but also I think what was critical is that when things got hard, we were all willing to pitch in and kind of put our egos aside. And it wasn't kind of, you know, I only do X or I only do Y, but it's okay. We're going to put our heads together and work hard on whatever we need to work to, to get through it and make the tough decisions when sometimes those tough decisions were not easy for an individual person, maybe. Uh, but, uh, you know, they, they, they were looking for the, what is best for the company. Uh, that might not be necessarily best for me individually at a particular point in time. And they were willing to, to, to do that. So, so super, uh, super lucky from that perspective. And, and I think the same with, with novel, uh, my co-founder Keith Harrington, he came from the, from the BC side of things and with that venture experience, right. And that was part of kind of the confirmation to me, what my experience was from the entrepreneur side and what I was seeing that he was seeing well from the BC side, I'm frustrated a little bit that. I see so many good entrepreneurs that have good products, good companies, but are not going to be the next unicorn. And I have to say pass. And, and not only that, but I don't know where else to send them because all my other, uh, VC friends are looking for similar things. So they right. will also pass. Everybody wants right? to invest in the unicorn. Exactly. So, and, and that's again, uh, and that's what the, uh, what success requires, right? The, you need certain returns to be a successful VC. And so. It's just right. the, the economics of it uh, and, and the scale that you need. And so it, it's not impersonal, it's the business model. And so th that, that was part of the, you know, the impetus to, to start Novel, which was, well, we're, we're seeing uh, the, the same problem from two sides. And uh, so how do we solve that both in terms of kind of the economics and the, and the business model that, that can be sustainable to provide capital to a lot of these entrepreneurs that if you think about it, it's kind of a lot longer tail, right? Than the, than the 1% that are going to get institutional uh, venture. Yeah, that makes sense. What do you think about uh, the kind of current state of the economy? Valuations have been hammered over the last year. So maybe just brought back down to earth and what's your take on that? And, you know, what does yeah. the future look like for valuations and for, for SaaS growth going forward? Yeah, I mean, uh, my view is that, uh, right, there are economic cycles, right? And, uh, this was one in which, uh, just like in the early 2000s, it happens, things get uh, a little bit more exuberant and, uh, valuations go, go back up either in certain verticals or in certain periods of time. But eventually things kind of have to return to the mean. And, uh, 
uh, that's what happens. And so the, depending where you are in that cycle, and if, if you're able to take advantage and you get a great valuation, you might be in a great spot. But on the other hand, if, uh, you did not, if you think that's the way the world is normally going to work and you're not prepared for that and your expenses are up there and you're not making adjustments with your, you know, with the size of your team or your size of your expenses, eventually it's going to catch up with you. Right. Um, sure. So I think we're coming back to a more balanced uh, point of, of the, the, the economic environment, at least in terms of, of startup evaluations. And uh, that's showing up in writing the decisions that, that VCs are taking. We're hearing from entrepreneurs, you know, uh, if you are in a portfolio, VCs are saying, hey, be careful with your cash. Make sure that you have enough runway. If you are trying to fundraise, uh, you, you are getting a lot of people that were talking to you before that now are saying, hey, let's talk in a few months or, or, or I'm not making any new investments. I'm focusing on my portfolio. Or, or even if they're making new investments, are they being much more uh, thoughtful around runway, uh, closeness to profitability, and, and some of those, uh, what I call it, business fundamentals are much more important again, right? And so I think uh, for, for the foreseeable future, that, that's going to be the case. And in, in our particular case, that means we're having more conversations with entrepreneurs that... Sure. Uh, are having a challenging time uh, finding capital for what they want to do. Yeah, I think fundamentals have always been important, but somewhere along the the way, the last few years, that's yeah. been forgotten. Yep. Yeah. yeah, you're correct, and and again, it, it sometimes uh, when you're riding a wave, the, the world makes you think, or those successes make you think that you're smarter than than the rest of the world. And uh, have been there for sure. Sometimes you just get lucky. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been there too. And uh, you, you get and, you get and then it happens. A little bit. Yeah, you find out yeah. that, it, you know, I find out I'm not quite as smart as I thought I was. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, it sounds like we, we both had experiences that kind of made us uh, <laughs> <laughs> rethink that. And, and, and yeah, in those cases, you know, yeah, those business fundamentals tend to tend to be a much better place to be aligned with if you can be aligned to those. Yeah. I love entrepreneurs that do things outside of business to make the world a better place. Tell me a little bit about uh, Kick Up for Education. Yeah, that, that's a that's a company that actually did, uh, and and I was an angel investor right after I saw my company, and so they're uh, focused on, on education, and obviously that was an area in which I was uh, mentoring a lot of entrepreneurs, uh, leveraging some of the knowledge I had of what worked, what didn't, and that was one of those uh, early uh, angel investors that I had. But they're focused around uh, performance evaluation and taking an, a, a new way to to help. Uh, districts really improve uh, how they do professional development and performance evaluation for their uh, for their educators but really one of the areas that you know that I really uh, enjoy quite a bit is, is kind of that that mentoring uh, entrepreneurs right especially in those uh, early stages if they're first-time founders and just sharing a, you know a, a couple of, of, of lessons that I might have had that, that if they can avoid them right might, might save them some headaches or, or, or a few months of going the wrong direction. So I'm pretty, uh, you know, involved, uh, with, uh, you know, uh, some accelerators, uh, been a mentor for some tech star cohorts, especially when they were here in Kansas city, uh, and, uh, uh, anything related, I think to, uh, entrepreneurship at the early stage, if I can be part of that, uh, and in particular here around the, the Midwest community that generally doesn't have as many of those. Uh, experienced folks, um, you know, really excited to, to participate. And, uh, 
uh, one of the things that I learned is, is, is in that giving, uh, I, you know, I generally feel that I get much more out of it either because, you know, I, I can kind of borrow the energy of the entrepreneur that's excited about what they're doing. I'm learning about a new topic that I didn't know about. And uh, just, I think, uh, making the community, the entrepreneurial community, uh, you know, in Kansas City and surrounding areas better. It's just, uh, it's just great. That's fantastic. People don't normally think about Kansas City as being a, a major tech hub, but that uh, that's not true because it is. Yeah, you know, uh, a lot of people, I think, are surprised when I mention, uh, you know, the, the, the entrepreneurial connections. They don't think about uh, one of the biggest ones. You know, we're very fortunate to have the uh, Kaufman Foundation, which is, if not the biggest, one of the biggest entrepreneurial foundations, you know, focus on entrepreneurship and, and have them in our backyard. And, uh, you know, they've done a lot of great work over the years you know, uh, around the country and around the world, I think, to, to support entrepreneurship. And so that is one example, right? And then there's just uh, many uh, large companies that, you know, like Cerner, that Sprint, that have really uh, gotten their start here and been super successful in, in different verticals. And there are definitely areas in which I think there's a lot of strength uh, around the Midwest and Kansas City. Uh, you know, not, they might not be as much... Uh, AI or crypto, although that's even changing, but you know, there's a lot of strength, I think, around, um, technology and engineering, uh, architecture, technology and finance. And so there's definitely, um, and, and on the, you know, on the pharma side, biotech, animal health, ag tech, right? So, so there's a lot of stuff that again, this area has to offer and, but, but a lot of folks don't necessarily think about it. Yeah, I love Kansas City. It's a, it's a great place and that the tech community is thriving. And so across the board, like you said, yeah. that's great. Where can people learn more about you and about Novel Capital online? Uh, our website is the best place, you know, novelcapital.com. If, uh, uh, you know, you're an entrepreneur, want to learn more about what options you have for capital. If you just want to, you know, chat about ideas of what you're trying to do and how you're thinking about growing your, your, your company and uh, leveraging capital, one of those instruments and data. Right. Uh, yeah, definitely connect with us. We'll be happy to have a conversation. And, uh, you know, there are many conversations that we have right now, which for one reason or another, we're not a good fit, but we can at least give you a, a path to what might be the ways that you can continue to grow and, and maybe where, uh, you know, where I fit, uh, down the road. But, uh, at least you'll know kind of what parts of the company you need to work into together. That's really, really good. We'll make sure to link all of that in the show notes and. It has been a great conversation today, Carlos. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Perfect. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you again for, for having me on the show. And I uh, uh, hope that uh, uh, this is uh, helpful to your audience. Thanks again, Carlos, for coming on the show and sharing your insights and resources. You can learn more about Carlos and Novel Capital at novelcapital.com. As always, all links, highlights, resources, and full show notes are available at sasfuel.com. We have a special link on our site for SaaS Fuel listeners with some special benefits when you get non-dilutive funding from Novel Capital. Just hit the button that says Get SaaS Funding and you've got the inside track. Go check that out. Get the funds you need and keep all your equity. I tell founders that all the time. Hold on to your equity. So if you need funding, it's a great way to do that. While you're there, subscribe, follow us, check out our new YouTube channel. Lots of full episodes, shorts, additional training. Everyone who subscribes this week gets an acorn. How about that? Reminding us that a mighty oak tree once started out as little nuts.
<laughs> kind of like us founders, maybe. Join us next Tuesday as we have Mike Ryan, the founder and CEO of SpySax, where he helps businesses who struggle with applying technology advances create great outcomes for both employees and customers using low-code and no-code solutions, completely revolutionizing time to market without reinventing the wheel. And next Thursday, a week from today on our SaaS Fuel Expert series, we have John Gumas, author of Marketing Smart and Challenger Brand Marketing, which is a fantastic book. Highly recommend the book. We have a conversation about taking on the giant as a challenger brand. What does that mean? How do we do it? And how do we win as challengers against those brands that are in the, the top spots? Well, join us for a great conversation. We'll see you next Tuesday for Mike Ryan and next Thursday, John Gumas. As always, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to SAS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned, are available at sassfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sassfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes.